I don't know about you, but I love an underdog. I love watching a person, a team, a group of people that, that by all odds should not make it, should not win, should not have victory, rise to the occasion, overcome the challenge, and win. It's inspiring. Whether we're talking about the Cubs winning the World Series, whether we're talking about the Rocky movies, sorry, that's a dated reference for millennials, or David and Goliath. There's something within the spirit of the human soul that loves watching one overcome impossible odds. Tonight, we're going to talk about an underdog. Uh, the Maybe, by all accounts, the lowest of underdogs that Jesus talks about. We're going to talk about what Jesus would refer to as a very small group. Our text tonight, if you're caring to follow along, is in Luke chapter 13. As we continue in our study of the gospel according to Luke, of course, Luke wrote this account uh, that we call the book of Luke, but obviously he also wrote the book of Acts, and we're going to be in there as well this evening. As Luke tells us about Jesus speaking of an underdog. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed. Now, that's an inspiring picture, isn't it? That a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. You see, the first thing that we see is that the kingdom of God, as, as Jesus describes it, is something that starts very small. What shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a, a man took and sowed in his garden I wouldn't do this for a Sunday morning crowd, but I feel like a Sunday night crowd can handle it. Time for a little bit of show and tell. Now, this show and tell comes with instructions, okay? What I'm passing around are mustard seeds in a container. You open them carefully and take one out and pass it on. And do that carefully, otherwise someone's going to be doing a lot of vacuuming of very small, tiny seeds here in the auditorium. And I'll go ahead and open this for you, Emma. Pass it on down, and, and when it gets to the end of the row, pass it to the, to the pew behind you, and then, then keep passing it down and back. Again, I know this is a heavy responsibility, but I think you can handle it. Just take one seed and pass it on. The reason I do that is because we hear that analogy, that illustration that Jesus uses. But it's something else entirely to take a tiny little mustard seed and roll it between your fingers and look at how small and puny and insignificant it is. And this, this does not inspire greatness as Jesus talks about this coming kingdom. You understood that when the apostles heard the word kingdom, they believed 
that Jesus was talking about an earthly political kingdom that would overthrow the bonds of the Roman Empire. They had visions of grandeur when we talk about kingdom. They, they were thinking back to restoring the temple to the glorious one that Solomon had built that they had not seen in centuries, that they had only heard legends of. They imagined kings bringing the kind of victory that Israel used to have. And Jesus, when he describes kingdom, gives them none of that. He says the kingdom is something that's almost so insignificant that if you, unless you just intentionally take the time to notice it, you hardly would notice it's there. The same is true of leaven, of course. A little bit of leaven works a, a long way through the batch of dough. These are very small substances, and yet, and yet, it takes so very little to make such a huge impact. That's the point. The kingdom, if we, if we want to say the kingdom, being small, being insignificant, being, being unworthy, being barely noticeable, and yet it's the kingdom of God. This is the story again and again, that little is much in the hands of God. Whether we're talking about two small copper coins or fishes and loaves, we are talking about a God who delights in taking the small, unworthy, insignificant things and doing great things through them. Why is that important? Because when you take big, grand people, things, people that are mighty, people who are powerful, people who have wealth and privilege and honor and connections and power, when you, when you take those people and use those people for your purposes, it's easy for those people to think that they had something to do with it. But when you take people who are small, little tiny seeds, And great things begin to happen in the kingdom. It's very clear that the power is not from within the seed. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you care to follow along, the Apostle Paul, speaking to the church at Corinth, writing to the church at Corinth, rather, says this. For consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing. Things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in God. I hope you're holding a mustard seed, and and, and I, I hope you're talented enough to hold on to it and keep track of it, you'll find it a rather challenging task. But if you can hold on to it and keep it, maybe just hold it in your pockets or or just carry it with you to be reminded 
that you're just a mustard seed. You're, you're a part of a people who are just a mustard seed, barely noticeable, but belonging to God and as such the tools that God will use. Now, small is not always bad, okay? We, we think of small as less. Small has some strategic advantages, especially when we're talking about the beginning of a kingdom. Small means more nimble. Small means more flexible, more agile, more portable. You think about this, the kingdom of God can be started by a single person going anywhere in the world. It doesn't require a building. It doesn't require a meeting place. It doesn't require, it just requires a person with the heart of God who loves the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, who's committed to teaching the word of God, and a single person can change an entire civilization. A kingdom can exist in a person, in just two or three people, in a small group, in a home. It doesn't have to be big to be effective. And that's what the seed, the lesson of the seed reminds us. Each one of those seeds potentially could have Millions upon millions upon millions of seeds that could come from that one seed. It's a wonderful analogy because when you look at it, you don't think there's much there. But small does not mean unimportant. In fact, small often has some advantages. But, but the other thing we want to realize is though we're small, the kingdom of God is not weak. Jesus said, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the kingdom. In the spiritual sense, you and I have profound enemies. Enemies enemies that I'm not sure we fully understand exactly how strong and how well-equipped they are. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and following. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This morning I I was privileged to stand behind there and pray with a new babe in Christ. And and Raymond Williams, as Ray and Rob and some some of those guys often do, as as this new babe in Christ, still dripping wet, uh, still wet behind the ears, still very green, is just beginning his journey. Circle up with that new Christian and whoever's back there, and we'll pray for them, and we'll say, you know, and Ray will say something to the effect of, you know, Satan's going to be hard after you now, because he had you, and now he lost you, and so he's going to be working on you. He's going to be working in your mind, he's going to be working through entertainment, he's going to be working through your friends, he's going to work to try to get you back. But you're a part of the kingdom of God now. And that can't be taken from you unless you choose to give it up. That's what Paul says, finally be strong. Uh, there's a battle going on for your soul because it's very precious to God. 
But if you remain in the kingdom of God, you remain a part of the kingdom that the gates of hell itself will not overcome. I love that. It starts small, but the kingdom of God, Jesus goes on to say, is destined to be sowed in the soil. As we say and, and know from 1 Peter 2.9, the kingdom is a people. The kingdom is not a place. And, and I've said this before, and you've probably heard it preached and taught, uh, that church is not a place. And, and we use that phraseology, and we're going to church now. But you're not really going to church. You're, you're going to where the church gathers. It's a small but important distinction that we might understand that, that the church has really been hurt in our modern world because so often we think of this, the structure, as church. But in the first century, it was not so. The ecclesia was just a called-out group of people. Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, what's interesting to me about this is, and we studied this in Luke chapter 8, in the parable of the soils. The, the ecclesia, you and I, are seeds being worked throughout all different kinds of soil. The seed has one function. To bloom, to sprout, to spread, to grow. And so you, you and I have this unique challenge. Every week, I think one of the purposes of the church is to remind us of who we are and what we're to do. You see, when, when we, we gather here tonight, and, and in a little while we'll, we'll leave, the parking lot will be mostly empty and, and we'll go back to our homes and we'll interact with our families and people and people at work and people in our neighborhoods. And, and, and we, will, we will be the seed working in the soil. Now, now stop and think for, for this just for a second. Let's, let's say that we have 200, 250, I don't, I don't know. Um, let's say that, you know, obviously amongst all of us we probably have some overlap. But let's just say that we each know a hundred people that no one else in this room knows. You know, if you have 500 friends on Facebook, they're, they're, is it easy enough to say there are a hundred people that nobody else in this room would know? My guess is yes. You know, people that you graduated from high school with, people that you went to college with, people that you work with, etc. If If 200 people have a hundred people that they reach uniquely, they do the math. That's 20,000 people that can potentially be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ in a group of this size. That's a Sunday night crowd filling Entrust Bank Arena with their potential of who they can reach. 
You understand? When we think of our gospel mission, we have to be diligent about blooming where we're planted. I hope that you see your neighborhood as a mission field. I hope that you look at your family as a mission field. I hope you see your workplace as a mission field. I hope that you, you see every business interaction that you have as a mission opportunity, as an opportunity to have a conversation that perhaps God brought that person or those people into your life for a reason, that there is a, a seed, leaven, that needs to be worked into that soil or into that flower. And see, seeds are useless unless they are planted. So may we bloom where we're planted, and may we not forget that we can reach people uniquely. The story is told of a group of prisoners. They were in prison, and they were wanting to change their lives. And they said, we we want to follow Jesus, and and we want to do exactly what Jesus said to do. And there was enough of them, five or ten, that they, they were determined to have a church within the prison walls. But they said, we only want to do it based on what Jesus taught. And we only want to do what's in the Word. In other words, show me the Scripture. Point to me the the command. Show me the way from here. And so they begin to pour over the scriptures. And then they begin to invite clergy in. Leaders from various groups and churches to see if they could help to start a church within prison walls. And several came, and, and they would say, well, here's what you need to, to start a church. I mean, you, 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 well, and some would just simply say, it's not possible. You have to have it ordained. You have, to, you have to have a process. You've got to have these doctrines and creeds. And they would say, that, that's not what we see here. And they were polite. They would move on. They would invite more people. And some people would say, well, well, well you know, you, we, we, here's what we do. And they say, well, but that's... What we want to do, you don't understand. We want to do what is right here. And they went through this process several times. And somehow, one way or another, I'm not exactly sure this part of the story, but they, they got a hold of a guy by the name of Stafford North, who is a, a longtime professor at Oklahoma Christian. And Stafford, if you know Stafford, he'll study anything out with anybody. And he sat down with those prisoners, and they planted a church inside a prison. And what they constantly told Stafford and other people was, that guy was the first one who agreed with us about just doing what is here. And just following these instructions... Christianity was not meant to be complicated, nor was the kingdom meant to be complicated, as complicated as our world makes it. It's very simple. But you'd be surprised how easy it is to get away from following Jesus and following his book, following his instructions to us. So it starts small. 
It can be planted in the soil, and it must be. And it must be, uh, that's up to us. We have to be missional in our approach. We can't just say, well, you know, what what I'm going to do is I'm going to get my neighbor or my friend, and I'm going to bring him to hear the preacher, and then that'll make church out of him. Now, see, Jesus had a different idea when he had kingdom in mind. I'm not against preaching, okay? Understand. (laughs) I'm not against you bringing your friends and guests. Jesus said we all are a part of that process. We all are designed to plant and to blossom and to bloom wherever we are. His word working in the soil, the natural result is two things. One, uh, the church is going to, I think I skipped ahead there. Um, The church is going to, to spread and to grow. The church is really not designed to be stagnant. The church is stagnant, there's a problem. Church was intended to grow, and that's what Jesus said when he said it's like a mustard seed. Mustard seeds are planted and they grow. It's designed to, to be that way. We're in the season of, of overseeding. I've got a neighbor who killed off a, a good section of his yard, killed everything, just I assume roundup maybe, I don't know. And he started back in August spraying. It was, first it was discolored, and then it died, and it was just completely just barren soil. Now he's, he's put the seed back over it, and with this good rain we've been having, watching all these little sprouts pop up. And his, his lawn's going to look much, much better because he, he planted, and he, that grew. And the grass, if it's healthy, good seed, will continue to grow and, and seed itself and fill in. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, For you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus had in mind that it would start small, but you wouldn't be able to stop it. That it would continue to grow and to grow and grow. Luke records that the church was one of continual addition. I, I realize we're in the book of Luke but I want you to look at the follow-up in the letter of Acts as Luke records the story of the church as it begins, as this kingdom starts out, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. We're going to go through these fairly quickly. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, Luke records, So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day, about 3,000 souls. The Lord added 3,000 souls. We, we see this again in verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 4. And they, <clears throat> but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men, just the men now, came to be about 5,000. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Now many signs. Uh, 
well, I've got the wrong reference there, but um, the reference is that the multitudes were added to the church. In other words, just in the early chapters of Acts, we see added, 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 growth, growth, growth. How's that happening? Because of them? Because they had an excellent, well-thought-out, perfectly aligned program? They did not. It was the power of God working through the seed and taking seriously the mission on which they were on. Now, what's interesting is the church goes from adding into multiplying. Now we go to Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, one translation says, in those days when the number of disciples was multiplied. Verse 7 of of the same chapter, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You see, God, we, we go from addition to multiplication. And that those are two different things we, we watch happening. And so the church begins to multiply itself. As people learn of Jesus and understand what the gospel is, and they begin to share that, they begin to multiply. My daughter Grace is in third grade, and they're in that age when they're going from learning from adding to multiplying. And the very key difference for for the church in understanding that that we move from God adding to God multiplying. It's important for us to not forget that. Then then comes the persecution. We move to Acts chapter 8. This mega church, which was, shall you say, meeting in Jerusalem, uh, had become a scattered church. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, just as Luke had, had recorded that Jesus said. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, which is interesting because it's just the flip side of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. What do you think happens? Is that the end of the church? Obviously not. There's several more chapters to Acts. We know how the story goes, probably. Just imagine, uh, teens, I don't know, it, uh, the word is as of, you know, an hour and a half ago uh, that there was a bonfire tonight, you know. Well, I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but if it does, um, I would not recommend the following. But, 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 but supposing a seventh grader went out and tried to stomp out a fire, you know, instead of just pouring water on it like a reasonable person, he goes in there and tries to stomp it out. And what happens? What would be the problem with that, right? The problem with that is that you're, you know, you're going to spread it because those little coals and embers will go everywhere, maybe on the person stomping, and probably spread out and potentially burn the, the grass surrounding. Uh, we've got a fancy fire pit now, but um, this is exactly what happens in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. <laughs> Satan is, must be watching in a spiritual perspective as these fires are growing and growing, and it's adding and it's multiplying, and so he steps in, <laughs> And he's just going to persecute the church at a great persecution. And he steps right in the middle of it. And they begin to spread. And I just love to think about that as, as God's watching his ancient foes try to stomp his people. He just goes, ah, good one. <laughs> yeah, because he tried to stomp it out, but all he did was cause it to spread. You see, that's the beautiful, wonderful thing about the kingdom is that you can't stop it from spreading if the fire is burning. God's desire 
is for the church to grow. It always has been. To grow, to add, to multiply, to reach more people, and to have more churches, and to have more people know Jesus. I was talking to my daughter last night, and we were talking about the fact that she's been raised her whole life knowing God. In our home and association with the church, and this has been a regular part of the conversation. But I said, you know, there are, there are people that do not know about God. They never hear God mentioned in their home. They, they never study his word. They, they never sing about him. And she was dumbfounded. She couldn't imagine how, how could anyone not know about God. Well, because, because the seed hasn't been planted yet, you see. And so that's our job as a kingdom, to make sure that we're not just growing, but spreading and multiplying the kingdom of God. And the last point is that the kingdom shelters and sustains. Jesus said, the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Um, I, I love this picture of branches, because in many ways, I think... We're not the only, but certainly if you consider all that Northside is involved in, we're a tree with many branches. Whether we're talking about Celebrate Recovery or Women's Conference or Wichita Work Camp or Know Your Bible uh, and a multitude of ministries, there's lots of people who come to these branches for rest and for shelter. And the church must continue to grow and be fruitful for the purpose of spreading the gospel and spreading the seed, however we can do that. The church has, like a tree, both branches and roots. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. The point of being the seed is that eventually we see some fruit. And and that's true in our personal lives, and that's also true collectively as a church. We need to be good stewards of what's been planted in us and continue to grow and to multiply and be fruitful. If a Christian roots his life in Christ, his life will bear much fruit. I, I used to worry about John chapter 15 because... I guess I would just say I had a more legalistic mindset that I had to do more, that I, I wasn't doing enough, that I, if I didn't save a soul a day, that I, I was not being fruitful. I, I, nothing wrong with saving a soul a day, but I don't exactly think that's what John 15 is, is talking about. Jesus, the rabbi, would have well known, of course, beyond being a rabbi, he wrote the book, uh, Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. 
planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment or sinners in the congregation of the righteousness. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. See, the way to bear fruit is to make sure you're connected to the root. I went to a parenting conference with Christy this last weekend uh, by Ted Tripp. It was really a wonderful conference. I was very blessed by it. Ted's a very wise man. and He's in his 70s now. And he speaks about parenting and shepherding from a perspective of dealing with the heart. And his picture of why that's important is of an apple tree in his backyard. He says, suppose I have an apple tree in my backyard and I plant it and I water it, but, but the fruit off of it comes, that comes off of it is rotten and, and it's uh, marred and it, it's not good. And my wife tells me, you know, it would be nice to have some, some good apples off this apple tree. What if I decided that to, to, to go out into my yard and, and pull out all the rotten apples off this tree and, and get some of the very best apples I could find from an orchard and polish them up, and take some fishing line and go string them up one at a time to this tree. And then I come back to the house and I tell my wife, look at, I, look at, the, look at the tree. Look at what wonderful apples are on the tree. I say, that's silly. Because you're, you're, trying to, you're, you're sort of putting all your effort into the apples when the real problem is the tree. And that's, of course, his analogy is that shepherding the heart, a lot of parents really work on the apples and they don't work on the tree. And when we understand biblically what, what the heart can do, we would be wiser as parents if we deal with the heart instead of focusing on the apples all the time. Well, our lives are to be fruitful. And if they're not fruitful, it has something to do with your lack of connection to the root. You're not rooted in Christ. You, it may be any number of things. It may be sin. It may be lack of relationship with Christ. I, I don't know. But, but there's a disconnect there between your life and, and the true vine. And that's what Jesus said. The man remains in me. I and him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I think the same is true with the church. The more we learn to rely on ourselves, the more we learn to rely on our wisdom and our intellect, and less worry about staying connected to the root, we're going to have problems with fruit. Northside's history and legacy has always been one of leaning upon and relying and walking by faith in, in a good God who loves us and cares for us. May we continue to do that. May we continue to root ourselves within the true root, which allows us to bear the most fruit. If the church is rooted in Christ, then everything which she does gives glory to Christ. All her ministries, all her mission works, all her efforts are done in love, and for the sole purpose of bearing fruit to his glory and not to our glory. She becomes a source in doing so of shelter and sustenance and hope. And that's how God designed the church to be. So my question for you is, what about you? Are you a part of the small but mighty 
kingdom of God. Uh, being a part of that kingdom is not difficult to, to begin. There is a high price to it. Jesus talked about the high cost of discipleship. That following him will cost you everything. But it's a price far worth paying. The church is not mighty because of us. You and I are the underdog. What makes us powerful, what gives us any power, is him. And so if you are not a part of the kingdom of God, then I would invite you to be a part of the small but mighty kingdom of God. May we remain rooted in him and fruitful for him in all that we do. See, we don't bear fruit for the glory of the fruit. Bear fruit for the glory of the root of the one who makes it all possible. If you're not rooted in Christ, if you have not begun your journey with Christ, you can begin that tonight. If you have a spiritual need to, uh, in any way, we can pray with you and for you. Or if you'd like to begin your journey with Jesus, as uh, a couple have done today, please meet me down front, and I'll be glad to minister to you in any way. It will be helpful to you. Please come as together we stand and sing.